Thank you for that, David. She's filling in. Jan's filling in today. No baby yet from David and Erica, but they're in the last days. We think. But you never really know until the end comes, right? When I grew up, I was in Pathfinders for a period of my life. I had a lot of fun going on Pathfinder trips, traveling around. Our Pathfinder club was so big, I went to a very big Adventist church growing up that we had a bus. We had our own bus, the Pathfinder bus. We had, I don't know, a hundred kids in the club or something like that. And it was a real blessing. So we'd ride around on the bus, and our Pathfinder director was also our bus driver, and he could take us to where we needed to go, various Pathfinder functions. And I don't think I was actually on this trip, but I remember hearing the story because we were close friends with the family. On one particular trip, there was this girl that had a real kind of whiny, nasally type voice at that age, as, as most kids do when they're young. But she kept on wanting to know, how long until we get there? So she'd go up to the front in the bus and say, are we there yet, Mr. Me Harry? And he would have to say, no, we're, we're not there yet. It's going to be several more hours. Another hour would go by. She'd come to the front. Are we there yet, Mr. Me Harry? And over and over and over again. And finally, they made it home. But it made me think about this because we're starting a new series today on the last days. Um, are we there yet? And that's a question that we ask because over 2,000 years ago, well, not over, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again, and he promised us that he's coming back. And many of us, soon, many of us ask that question, are we there yet? Where are we? We've been waiting for a very long time for the promise of his return to be fulfilled. As an Adventist church, we've been preaching it for over 150 years, proclaiming it, believing it, that Jesus is coming soon. And yet, here we still are today. Just by me talking about the last days, it probably has already made you feel something. Some of you have, have already felt fear in your heart. Because as you think about the last days, it makes you conjure up pictures in your mind about things that you've heard about, whether they're true or not. But there's some apprehension and some tightness in your heart as you think about the last days. And I hope through this series that we'll be able to present good Bible truth and good assurance so that we don't have to have that fear as we think about uh, what will happen before Jesus returns. But some of you have a fear response. Others of you are burned out about this topic. Just being honest. You've heard about it for so long, and here we still are. you just rather think about something else. How many of you believed that we never would have reached 2019 
you, you would have surely thought growing up, you know, maybe you were born in 1960 or 1940 or 2001, and you thought, surely we're never going to get to 2019. But here we are. I can remember talking to parents, grandparents type people saying, you know, I was wondering if I should go to college or not. I was wondering if I should get married because the Lord was about to come immediately, imminently, and, and, and here we are. So, no, so a certain population of you are just burned out. You've gotten your hopes up too many times, and so you just think to yourself, well, I'd rather talk about something else. Others of you are on the opposite side of things. Jesus is coming imminently. It could be next week, and you have the, the reasons to back it up, and you've been watching the news, and you have a list of things, and you are so excited. And th there's that side of things. And maybe you have uh, some certain reasons for that. Uh, creative use of biblical material to, to give proof for why Jesus is going to return imminently. Uh, or maybe you have current world events that are absolute and total proof that the Lord is going to return very, very soon. Maybe you even have a date in mind or a range of time in mind. And then there's an, a, a fourth group of people. These are the blamers. People who say, well, the Lord would have returned, but we've got a certain belief or series of lifestyle issues or there are reasons and people in our church, and that's why the Lord has not returned. So it becomes your mission to fix all the broken people in our church so that the Lord can come back. And I'm not uh, trying to, to say any one particular, I mean, this is just how we approach this topic. And others of you are a combination of these things or something totally different. My goal in this series on the end days is to try and be as balanced as we can and as biblical as we can. Is that a good thing? We want to try to see what the Bible says, what it doesn't say, and try and be as balanced so that we don't cause people to get burned out. So that we don't raise people's hopes prematurely or falsely and then have them dashed when the Lord doesn't return next month. But we also want to uh, guard against just people not caring about the last days. We want to help people realize, hey, this is an important topic, and we want to avoid casting any sort of blame. You know, I really appreciate the writings of Ellen White as she talks about the last days, and I think she's very balanced in her subject. Now, a lot of times we get an imbalanced view because we read only the compilations, you know, those are select passages pulled and all put together in one spot. But they have a saying. They say, compilations cause complications. Right? If you only take the extract from fruit, you know, just the sweet part of an apple, and you put it all together, and you just drink concentrated apple juice, it'll be overwhelming, right? Because there was meant to be a lot more that went along with that apple. Right? Uh, and I'm not saying compilations don't have their value, but we have to realize with every quote, there's a broader context. Many of her statements are written to specific individuals, to one person. And sometimes we think it's for the whole church. 
So we'll, we'll share some of her, her writings, but we're going to use it carefully, and we want to uh, understand that there's a broader context there. But having said that, I have a couple of bits of advice uh, from the writings of Ellen White that I want to start off with as we launch into our subject for today. Are we there yet? Notice what we see here. She has some counsel for us. She says, be what? Be guarded. In bearing the message, make no personal thrusts at other churches. Be careful what you say and how you say it. Not even the Roman Catholic Church. Angels of God see in the different denominations many who can be reached only by the greatest what? Caution. So we need to be careful how we share what we believe and how we see things. Therefore, let us be careful with our words. Let not our ministers follow their own impulses by denouncing and exposing the mysteries of iniquity. Our job is not so much to denounce falsehood, but to preach the truth. As, as an Adventist people, our message is not so much the things we're against, but who and what we're for. We need to be balanced as we share things. Upon these things, these themes silences eloquence. Many are deceived. Speak the truth in tones and words of what? Love. Even when Jesus had hard things to say against the Pharisees, it was always done in a tone of love. Let Christ Jesus be exalted. Keep to the affirmative of truth. Never leave the straight path God has marked out for the purpose of giving someone a thrust. That thrust may do much harm and no good. It may quench conviction in many minds. Let the word of God, which is truth, tell the story of the inconsistency of those in error. So a lot of wisdom here. Let's be careful. Let's use caution and love as we uplift Jesus and preach his truth. And she also said this, because she definitely said we need to be studying the books of Daniel and Revelation. There's need of a much closer study of the Word of God, especially should what book? Daniel and, and Revelation have attention as never before in the history of our work. And this was written a long time ago. How much more true is it today? That's why we're doing that Daniel seminar. We have three more weeks left. Daniel 10 is this coming Wednesday at 7. We may have less to say in some lines in regard to the Roman power and the papacy, but we should call attention to what the prophets and the apostles have written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. All right. So we need to be cautious. We need to be careful, but we need to be studying our Bibles to know what to expect. So, where are we in Earth's history? Where are we in Earth's history? How precise can we get and maybe another question is, how precise is it wise for us to try to get as we think about the last days? Like we mentioned, Adventists have been proclaiming the last days for a long time. Many people have died believing that they were going to see Jesus come before they passed. Well, in a broad sense, biblically speaking, we're already living in the last days and we've been doing it for almost 2,000 years. Open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, towards the end of your Bible, and we want to look at chapter 1, real briefly there. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to be looking there at verse 2. 
we'll start in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these, what days? Last days spoken to us by, whom, by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. The apostle here says that Jesus is speaking to us in these last days. And this was written close to 2,000 years ago. In a broad sense, ever since Jesus came and, and paid the price on Calvary and was raised back to life and ascended to heaven, we've been living in the last days, in a very broad sense. In fact, you can look, just flip over to, to Romans, Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans 13. Romans 13, we're looking at verse 11 and 12. Romans 13, verse 11 and 12, it says, And do this, knowing the time, that it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The apostle is saying, hey, guys, wake up. Our salvation is closer than we thought. Than when we first started believing. The night is almost done. Let's wake up, people. So even the apostle Paul lived with this sense of expectancy. Because ever since Jesus left us and made that promise, it's as if... We're living in these last days. But obviously, that was a really long time ago. And Jesus still hasn't shown up. Is there anything that can help us get a little bit closer to where we are in the scope of history? And so we think in our minds to the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, we studied it in our seminar. You've seen it in multiple seminars. We've got that statue, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. What was the next one? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then what? Rome, that's right. And then after Rome was what? Divided Rome. And Rome's been divided for over 1,500 years. And the last thing in that prophecy was that rock to come and smash the statue. We've been literally living between verse 43 and verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2 for over 1,500 years. So just by that prophecy alone, boy, we must be at least down towards the end, right? And then you keep studying the book of Daniel, and you look at Daniel chapter 7, and we get more details, and we see, whoa, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled. And most of the things in Daniel 7 have been fulfilled. And then we get to Daniel chapter 8. We see that powerful prophecy where Daniel asks the question because he sees through the work of the little horn power that the, the sanctuary was going to be desecrated. The work of our great high priest was going to be usurped. And he says, how long, how long until these things will be cleansed, until the sanctuary will be reconsecrated and put back into its rightful state? And the answer comes in verse 14, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And as we talked about last Wednesday night, that prophecy started uh, 400 plus years before Christ and carries us all the way down to the year 1800. And we saw there that 
that that's when Christ started this final work of judgment, of reviewing the records, not for his sake, because it's easy for him to know who's saved and lost, but for the universe, so that when he brings us to heaven, the angels can say, are you sure they're safe? And Jesus says, of course they're safe. Look at the record. I've already done the work. It's right here. They're safe to save. And of course the angels want us there. But the universe can see and know. And so as we, in fact, let's just go there real quick. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. Because of Daniel's prophecy and and the way that we've understood that, we get to Revelation 14, verse 6, a passage that's very familiar to our church as Adventists, containing these last major messages to humanity, the three angels' messages. And if you continue reading, you see that right there in that chapter, we get after the three angels' messages are delivered, Jesus returns, starting in verse 14. But we look there at verse 6, it says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell upon the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And as we studied Daniel 8, we realized that that this verse could only be fulfilled and in reality starting in 1844, because the judgment had not yet come. But that verse became present truth when Christ entered the most holy place of our heavenly sanctuary. And so the angel, the messenger, calling us to worship our Creator because the hour of His judgment has come. And so as we look in very broad terms in the biblical account, we see we've been living in the last days since Christ came and left. But as we start to hone in on the prophecies, even more specifically, we're living towards the end of those last days. But we still ask the question, how last is the last days that we're in? Right? He's coming soon, but how soon is soon and how near is near? Because we want to know, right? We're curious. There was a little girl that was asking her mom all these questions. Mom, why this? Mom, why that? Finally, the mom was just... So frustrated, she said, Honey, curiosity killed the cat. Stop asking questions. And the little girl said, What did the cat want to know? (laughs) We have this desire to know. Sure, okay, we're towards the later part of the later part, but how late in the later part of the later part? We want to know. And I just want to say this, we start to get onto a slippery slope the more we ask these questions. Not that it's wrong to ask questions, uh, but I just want to recount a little bit of history from our particular faith journey that will help you realize that we have to be careful and balanced as we approach the last days. I don't share these stories to uh, discourage us or to make fun of the people who had these sincerely held beliefs, but I share them to just highlight that we have to be careful. As you know, our denomination sprung out of a group of people who believed the Lord was going to return in 1844. And they were so sincere in their belief. 
and through a restudying of the prophecies, eventually we figured out it was the right date but the wrong event. And later, uh, in about 1862, 63, our church was founded. But shortly after that, uh, in 1844, Joseph Bates, who went on to become one of the founders of our church, got to thinking about what went wrong. And he thought, you know, if we're dealing with the Day of Atonement in the heavenly sanctuary, uh, and in our prophecies we've said a day equals a year, well, a day for a year, starting in 1844, 1845 is when Jesus is going to return because we forgot to apply day for a year for the day of atonement. Jesus is going to do this work for a year and then the end will come. And so now 1845 became the focal point. But 1845 came and went and our Savior had still not appeared. And we continue on. By the way, the Lord gave Ellen White a vision saying, this is not the right view. She didn't endorse these date-setting things. But then people got to thinking. They said, you know, the Exodus is kind of a symbol of God taking people out of bondage and taking them to the, the promised land, and the ultimate promised land is heaven. And they were in the wilderness for how many years? Forty years. And they started to think, let's see, 40 years from 1844 is what? 1884. And there began to be a movement, not an officially denominationally endorsed movement, but a movement among people saying, 1884, that's when our Lord is going to return. But sadly, 1884 came, and it went, and our Lord still had not come. 1888 was a big year, though, for our church. We had the famous meetings. There was some powerful revivals, emphasis on righteousness by faith, a lot that goes into that whole thing there. But there was also a senator named Bill Blair. Bill Blair was a senator who introduced a bill. He wanted it to be law, and it was for a national Sunday law in America. And the Adventists, we were like, whoa, major fire alarms going off. And we said, surely Jesus is right around the corner. But the law didn't pass. Smaller, more local, regional Sunday laws have been passed and they're still on the books. I've experienced them even in, in South Carolina at Walmart. Can't go to the secular parts until after church time in Columbia, South Carolina. It's roped off, literally, in Walmart. We're going to talk about Sunday Law stuff at a future presentation in this series, by the way. But people got all excited and then Jesus didn't come back. So people got their minds thinking again. But you know, in 1891, Ellen White wrote this that I think is such an important bit of advice. She said, we're not to live upon time excitement. Don't start setting a, a period of time and then get all excited about that. No one will be able to predict when that time will come. You will not be able to say that he will come in one, two, or five years. Neither are you to put off his coming by stating that it may not be for 10 or 20 years. I really like this counsel. She said, don't say it's going to be next year for sure. But in the same line, don't say, it's going to be a long time. I have plenty of time. Our world has tons of time. Somehow we need to find a balance in there, since we don't know when our Lord will return. 
Confusion and cynicism is a very high price to pay for a little bit of temporary excitement. You know, we, we get really excited about the world events going on, and we think, this is, this is it. And as well-intentioned as we are, many people see that, and things come and go, time comes and goes, and our Lord doesn't return, and then they say, well, if that wasn't right, then it all must not be right. And people become skeptical and cynical or doubtful. Well, 1918 came along, and a very interesting world event happened. The Turks and the British fought a battle. And you know where they fought it? In Israel, in the Valley of Megiddo. Armageddon. Armageddon. And we had evangelists that were preaching, the Battle of Armageddon is beginning. It's happening right now. The Lord is about to return. But their understanding of the Battle of Armageddon wasn't correct. They were looking at a physical battle instead of a spiritual battle. And that's been over 100 years now. And our Lord still has not returned. In the 1930s, there were some people who taught that Jesus was going to return soon because in 1833, there was the great falling of the stars. It was unprecedented. You could read a newspaper at night. And I believe that this is a sign trying to get people to wake up. Jesus said these things would be happening. I believe it was a genuine sign. But people looked at that, and they looked at the, the saying where Jesus said that, that this generation shall not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. And they learned that there were still some people in Yugoslavia who were alive when that happened. And so they said, before these people in Yugoslavia die, Jesus is going to return. But the 1930s came and they went, and Jesus still had not returned. Just before and during World War II, there were some Adventists that thought that the Japanese were the kings of the East from Revelation 16, verse 12. Roman, do you remember what the Japanese flag looks like? What, what, what's on it? What's in the middle of it? Exactly. So this was the, the rising of the sun in the East. He knows, if you want to test him on flags, he knows all the flags, almost all. All the flags, really impressive. So they said, this is it, Revelation 16, being fulfilled. But then it was wrong, and people got disappointed. Around 1845, there was a bulletin of the atomic scientists, and they pictured a massive clock. You know Big Ben over in London? Massive clock, and the big hand was just a few minutes to midnight. The atomic scientists were posting this, saying, it's almost the end. And people got excited Churches used it in their printed material, evangelistic flyers, uh, but our Lord still had not returned. When JFK became president, you remember that? Many of us thought, boy, uh, Roman Catholic president, first ever. He surely is going to usher in the final events that we believe. JFK is no more. And sadly, Jesus didn't come back. And then we got into the 60s while, while JFK was still alive, and he said, we're going to the moon, right? We can do it. We didn't get there before he uh, passed away, but we got to the moon. But many Adventists were saying, our Lord is not going to allow sin to impact any other part of our universe. He will come back before he lets us get to 
the moon or to Mars and so forth. But again, this came and went. And, and I'm not trying to share these things to discourage us, right? I'm just trying to say we can learn a lot from our history, right? Is this making sense? Another use, uh, people, or another thing that people have done is they recycle dates. Uh, we got the 1260 years, and people try to recycle that and use it in another time frame. With the 2300 days, they use it again. Or now people are talking about the 2520 or so forth. 1987 was identified as the antitypical Jubilee year. But when that didn't work out, they just recalculated again and said it might be in 1991, it might be 1994, it could be 96 through 98, we're not sure, one of those years. But you know, it's not just people in our church that have done this. Uh, not just people in our church, John Pauline was visiting, uh, he was doing a tour and he went to the Vatican, and Vatican City, and he noticed that in the St. Paul's Outside the Walls Cathedral, that there were all of these artworks uh, pieces of art of different popes, starting from the very beginning and working all the way around, but there were 15 spaces that were yet to be fulfilled. And the tour guide said, we believe when all of those ovals are filled with different popes, that's when the end will come. Well, later that day, or later on his trip, he went to another cathedral, uh, looks like it was St. Peter's Cathedral, and there was a slab of marble there, and it had every pope's name written on the slab of marble, and there were six spaces left. How many spaces? Six. How many in the, yeah, in the other part, the other cathedral? Fifteen. In this one, there were six, and the tour guide said, we believe when those last six spaces are filled with the names of the next six popes, that's when Jesus will return. So you see, this is a human thing that, that we engage in. But I'm afraid it, it's done a lot of uh, negative things. As sincere and as honest as we've been, uh, it's caused a lot of people to get discouraged. And so somehow we need to find a way to have a balance. To expect our Lord's soon return, but not to cry wolf too many times, such that people will stop believing the message altogether. You know, what we can learn from these stories are a couple of things. One, I'm proud that our church, our denomination, has never set a date. These were just people within the church. I'm also proud that, that we care enough to expect and look forward to Jesus' return. The fact that these stories are being told indicates that we care about Jesus. And we're excited to see him come back. Are you excited to see him return? Amen. I'm looking forward to that. So what's a more balanced approach? How can we have a more balanced approach? Well, we're running out of time, but I just want to give you a little bit of advice here. And we're going to continue and pick it up next week from here. But in Matthew 24, Jesus said we can know the day or the hour, right? No. We cannot know the day or the hour. We have to remember that. But then again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the disciples asked, and they said, Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Are you going to do that? You know what his response was? 
It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. The Father knows some things. He's just going to have to keep that a secret um, because it's not your privilege to know that right now. Ellen White commented on this verse. It will never develop in any line that will lead us to imagine that we can know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Again and again, I have been warned in regard to time setting. There will never again be a message for the people of God that will be based upon time. We're not to know the definite time either for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or for the coming of Christ. She said, that hasn't been revealed to us. But what has been revealed to us is that Jesus is going to return and that we are living towards the end of the last days. And we've been given signs, and we'll talk more about those. We'll get more specific about signs, how to understand them. But we want to strive for balance. So I have three bits of advice here. Number one, strive for balance. Try not to to fall into one of the extremes. Try to be balanced in your understanding. Number two, don't put the Lord's coming too soon. And number three, on the same way, don't put it too far off. I believe it's going to be soon. What does soon mean? I'm not sure. But I want to live expectantly every single day. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about a lot of these things, a lot of the topics, a lot of questions that you may have. But I want to close with a story. When I was in college, there was a 5K that was happening at Southern. And I decided I was going to go run this 5K. And the the gun went off, we started running, and my friend Ben just took off, sprinting almost. And he got ahead of everybody. He was leading the pack. Wow, I thought, Ben is really taking off. But as you can imagine, uh, it was only a 5K, not that long of a distance, not a full marathon. But as time went on, he started to slow down. And this isn't one of those stories where he fails to finish because it was only 5K. Had it been a marathon, it might have been different. But you know what? Ben and I finished at about the same time. Uh, But he admitted, talking to me afterwards, that he went out too fast and then he couldn't keep up. And the people that he was in front of started passing him one by one. Some of us have felt like we need to be sprinting to the finish line. And in a certain sense, we do. But maybe we've been sprinting when Jesus is calling us to run a marathon. So we've got to run with endurance. We've got to run with balance and with wisdom as we look forward to the great day when Jesus will return. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just beginning this series, uh, but we realize from lessons from the past that we have to be careful Um, Even in our enthusiasm to see you return, Lord Jesus, we want to be balanced. So I pray that you'll help us to find that balance. To to not put off your coming so far that we get lazy or spiritually um, that we procrastinate. But at the same time, I pray that we won't uh, get people's hopes up and cause them to lose faith when our predictions don't come true. Lord, give us balance. Give us wisdom on how to be balanced. And Lord, give us opportunities 
to help tell people about you this day and each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Sabbath, and uh, I will see you soon.